I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston. And you're listening to No Quarter, the classic video arcade game podcast. That sounds totally awesome. I think it is. I think it is. I have a great time. How about you? I have a great time, too. It's got classic in the name. How can it be bad? That's it right, be bad. yes. <laughs> it wouldn't be classic. I guess it's actually the games that are classic, not our podcast. Well, yeah, we, we haven't reached that point yet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so how are you, Mike? I'm doing well. I'm just hiding out, avoiding the 10 inches of snow that got dumped on us today. Oh, did you get snow? Up here in Toronto, we are actually almost snow-free now. It was gorgeous out today. I almost dragged my motorcycle out. It's beautiful. Yeah, Colorado, every now and then we get these uh, these these late spring storms that, that dump on us. And, well, we'll probably we get one, one again. We often get snow and like just sort of a reminder that we live in Canada. We'll <laughs> get a bit right. of snow at the end of March. Middle of July. And go, go on. Yeah, that <laughs> would suck. So your voice sounds better, too. Um, I'm slowly improving. Yeah, for whatever reason, this cold has really hung on. Um, but I certainly feel better, probably better than I sound anyway. Well, good. That's That's good. All right, enough small talk. We have talked small. <laughs> Let's talk large now. Let's talk feedback. Feedback, you say? Did we get feedback? Uh, I think we did. I got an email from Dave. Uh, Dave didn't give us a last name here. He was talking uh, about last show, uh, Colony 7, which uh, people people pointed out two things. One, they enjoyed it, and two, Colony 7 is a very obscure game. <laughs> it is totally obscure. I had never heard of it before. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Dave says, I'd never heard of Colony 7. Perhaps it's after my time, but I enjoyed the commentary. Um, and I won't read the whole thing here, but I had said that I couldn't find the hardware specs on Colony 7, which is why we didn't read them out. And he pointed out that you can actually go into the source in the main ROM and see exactly what it's running on. And in this case, he points out that it was running on, that uh, Colony 7 is actually running on Defender hardware. Uh, and I, I did a little research, and it looks like that's actually true. Uh, Taito, Taito licensed the Defender hardware from Williams to build Colony 7 machines. I would not have guessed that. Neither would I. This was came as a complete surprise to me. And it's funny how last week when we were talking about the stuff and we were going online trying to find it, it occurred to me in the middle of that conversation. I'm like, hold on, I guess we can look in the main stuff. And then it sort of just blew out of my mind. <laughs> it was gone. <laughs> and so, way to go, Dave. You're better at this than I am. <laughs> so, well, yeah. and, and the, yeah, that, that reminded me as well. I, I think most MAME implementations are this way. I, I use the MAME UI 64 um, on my desktop and then the, the um, iMAME on the, the i on the iPad to play. And when, I, when you start a game up, there's that start screen that you can turn on. It'll tell you exactly what hardware it's running on before it goes into the game. I completely forgot about that. That would have been helpful. Yeah. Uh, Dave goes on to say, I have an Asteroid Deluxe Cab I painstakingly restored, and he says, uh, I'm an engineer with limited carpentry skills, so the cab retains its character. And I just acquired a Space Wars cabinet, which needs restoration as well. I'm waiting to hear you guys review these classics. Uh, in fact, Space Wars would be a good one to set up on the main cab at Kansas Fest since it's a two-player game, and that will be the best way for you two to compare scores. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to, uh, at Kansas Fest, the, the two-player games. Like, not the, like, like this week's game and a lot of games we played where you play two players one at a time. Uh, it's more that it's fun when you have a group of people to sort of compete head to head on at the same time. And so, and I can't really do that here alone in my condo. So I'm really looking forward to the multiplayer games. Yes, uh, I am too. And Dave, uh, look for those games to be reviewed on an upcoming episode. Oh yeah, def- definitely both are must, must play games. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to reviewing both of them. Did you get any feedback here? Did I did. We got a bunch of things in Twitter and that kind of stuff, but I think there's two in particular I want to point out. And both of them, 
Um, I was very impressed. Both of them talk about this week's game. So it's amazing to me that people can pick out the games we're playing from the samples at all. But this week in particular, because we're playing one of the series of pack family games, the, the Waka Waka Maze games. And the idea that somebody can tell which one it is from our audio sample just blows me away. And the fact that we had two people write in, or at least uh, maybe a bunch more, but two in particular wrote in to me um, to give sort of pre-feedback. Would that be pre-back? I don't know. <laughs> so pre-feedback <laughs> about this week's game. And we're both able to recognize that it was Junior Pac-Man of all the, the various Pac-Mans. So a fellow named Scott wrote in to say, uh, it's obviously a Pac game, but I think it's my favorite of them all, Junior Pac-Man. Um, and they wrote, I know you both hate on the original Atari home version of Pac-Man, but this one is the one to get. It was a really good port. It looks good, and the gameplay is great. Only the intermissions are missing, but of course the arcade version is even better, worth uh, every quarter, even for you no-quarter guys. So I thought that was excellent feedback, and I was just so super impressed that somebody would would recognize which Pac-Man game it is um, just from the audio. Like, this is before we had posted anything on Twitter that would give away the, the video. And then also, a gal named Marita, I guess it's pronounced, wrote in just to send a link saying, you know, look for – she says, look for – Look forward to hearing about this week's game. Oh, sorry, Marita. I'm just simple sentence and I'm chewing it. And then gave us a link. And the link goes to a geocaching site. Do you know what geocaching is, Mike? Uh, I have a vague conception of what it is. Isn't it where somebody hides something and then, uh, in, in a public place and then posts the, uh, um, coordinates for it and you use your gps device to find whatever they leave behind and exactly you, you get to take what you find and you typically are expected to leave something as well yeah there's a lot of geocaches where they're, they're that sort of thing where you can take something and leave something they usually have a little book you can write in i love geocaching i haven't done it that much but there's amazing geocaches here in toronto and usually in addition to the um the coordinates you get some sort of clues or something like that and a lot of times the geocaches have themes so everything there is based on a theme or the hiding places based on a theme, that kind of stuff. So she sent us a link to Junior Pac-Man, the geocache. It's part of a video game classic series in Massachusetts. And this is a geocache where supposedly Junior Pac-Man was out chasing Blinky and um, you can find where Blinky's hiding spot was. And it shows a little photograph of um, where it's hidden. I guess it's based in a tree and that kind of stuff. And there's a bunch of... um, a bunch of caches in this series. So there's a whole series of geocaches in the state of Massachusetts, all based on classic arcade games. <laughs> there's a, a Frogger, Food Fight, Centipede, Asteroids, Pong, Pole Position, whole bunch of them. So it just seemed really exciting to me because I like geocaching. It's a really super fun, nerdy sort of thing to do. But I love the fact that some – and it seems like they're all from from the same fellow. Like he's gone around the state and he's hidden – Classic video game uh, geocaches. So totally, totally <laughs> awesome. That was fantastic really cool. link. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I'll put a, I'll put the link in our show notes. So in case you live in that state or are visiting and you want to do a little geocaching, you can uh, uh, enjoy the, the combination of scavenger hunting and uh, classic arcade games. Quick thank you to Vic Sage who mentioned us over on the retroist.com. He had a, uh, has a short little article about Circus Charlie and, and how we introduced him to that game and how much he loves it. Apparently, a lot of people had not heard of Circus Charlie, like you, um, and <laughs> love it, like you. 
Well, it's, it's fantastic. It's one of those games that just immediately hooked me because of the sound and the, and it's just a charming game, you know, but with that amazing combination of relatively straightforward, easy to get gameplay, but with tons of variety and real difficulty mastering it. So it's a game that you can play a whole bunch and keep getting new stuff out of. So yeah, I, I went back and played some more of it this week. Chuck and Charlie is just one of those games that completely hooked me and really rewards multiple gameplay. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. Definitely. We got another mention uh, over on the Atari Age forums. They have that ongoing uh, podcasts, retro game podcast worth listening Uh-oh. to. Uh, well, they, they mentioned that we've gotten pretty obscure lately, and it seems like everybody actually likes that. So uh, thanks, guys. Glad that you're listening. <laughs> Sorry about and, this week. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and a hat tip to you, and thanks for the mention. Well, I'm positive we will be mentioning Atari Age this week because of uh, the whole April Fool's joke that um, led to the uh, the Atari 2800 why am I remembering? No, 70, 7,600. Oh, the Atari age people already hate me. <laughs> um, what was it? 7,800. The 7,800 homebrew game of Junior Pac-Man that started as a, an April Fool's joke. So I'm sure we will talk about that. Definitely. Definitely. Yes. Com- coming up next in the, le- <laughs> right. in the next five minutes. Uh, one other, one last piece that I, that I wanted to bring up here. Uh, last week we had been, we had mentioned, uh, uh, Bishop of Battle. We didn't really know what that was. I did some research on this, and it looks like you did too. Oh my God, this is an awesome film. There's there was a film released in 1983 called Nightmares, and it included in that a segment called Bishop of Battle, which starred Emilio Estevez as this uh, obsessed arcade game player uh, who is so obsessed with with getting to the 13th level uh, of the game Bishop of Battle that he breaks in late at night, and uh, well, chaos ensues. So did you watch it on YouTube? We had a link to it, uh, the last week and I, and I watched it and I ate it up. <laughs> well, I, I watched the, the segment on YouTube and, and then I, I downloaded, I'm sorry, then I bought the DVD, uh, of the entire film. Well, I couldn't find the film and the DVD that you supposedly bought is <laughs> unavailable and out of print. So it's a hard film to come by, unfortunately, but I will be seeking it out by other means as well. Yeah. It's, it's very cool. It's, it's done sort of in the style of those early eighties horror movies, um, where instead of one 90 minute movie, that's all the same plot you get, it's broken up into pieces. I think there was a Stephen King movie, maybe night shift or something like that. That started this sort of trend. There was um, Twilight Zone uh, and a bunch of others, and and this one obviously was a rather poor ripoff of like those. the creep show films and right, stuff, yeah, and, and Tales exactly. from the Crypt. But those movies were the solid uh, one story movies. But yeah, totally. Uh, the so all I've seen so far is the Bishop of Battle battle segment which we linked to in last week's show notes and it's totally awesome i absolutely <laughs> absolutely got hooked it was amazing really really a good watch and apparently the computer game sequences that were made and uh, generated for that segment cost so much that it nearly bankrupted the entire production i read that as well totally awesome money well spent i say i think so yeah. so um do we have anything else we want to talk about no we got to dive into miss pac-man so we can eventually get to the point where your score was higher than mine blah blah, blah. miss pac-man <laughs> oh sorry no not miss pac-man although this was really a hack essentially to miss pac-man um this is a junior pac-man we're going to talk about this week oh the junior the little one with the beanie Junior Pac-Man uh, was one of the five or six games that Bally Midway produced without permission 
uh, from Namco and eventually brought the lawsuit from Namco that ended their their licensing deal. Bally was apparently impatient for new titles because Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man were extremely popular, and they, uh, but they were afraid that they were going to run out of steam and they needed something else, and Namco wasn't producing anything. So they went ahead and uh, interpreted the license, um, let's say liberally, and, and <laughs> later claimed that, well, we thought we could do that, and made several titles. Now, as part of the settlement of the lawsuits, these cabinets had to stop being made, and the Junior Pac-Man license, or I'm sorry, the Ms. Pac-Man license um was returned to Namco, who then relicensed it back to Bally so they can legally continue to make Ms. Pac-Man uh, cabinets. Right, that they were already making. That's right. <laughs> yes. Uh, Junior Pac-Man, the character, went on to show up in several other titles, uh, including Pac-Man 2, The New Adventures, uh, Pac-Man Junior, which is different than Junior Pac-Man, Pac-Man World, uh, and the sequels Pac-Man Worlds 2 and 3, and Pac-Man World Rally. That's a lot of Pac-Man. <laughs> yes. And um, in the second season of the 1980s Pac-Man cartoon, a character known as PJ joined the cast. His name was stated to be Pac Juniors, but is obviously, but obviously was was Junior Pac-Man. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I was never really a fan of that cartoon. If you're interested in reading about the history of of the lawsuit and the licensing and things like that, IGN has an article that you might uh, consider reading called Off Brand Pac-Man, uh, where they talk about each of these specific titles and whether they were worth playing. Most of them were not. Uh, these included Pac-Man Plus, Baby Pac-Man, which was a very, very, very hard combination of pinball and video game. Junior Pac-Man, of course, which we're talking about today. Uh, Professor Pac-Man, which was a, a weird trivia game that really sucked. Uh, <laughs> and of course, the, the, the original Ms. Pac-Man. And unsurprisingly, we're going to have a link to that in our show notes. We've got show notes. Still have them. Still use them. <laughs> That's right. And oneup.com also has uh, an article called Two Disowned Pieces of Pac-Man History When Licensing Deals Go Awry. Oh, awry. Good word. We like to talk about the game itself. The CPU in Junior Pac-Man is a Xilog Z80 running at 3.072 MHz. And it has a Namco WSG three channel mono sound chip at three oh seven two megahertz. And yet it makes the most of that. Like most of the Pac-Man games, um, it's a catchy sound and it's pretty decent sounding. So while it is just a little little mono speaker, um, I think it's got a good sound. I agree. Uh, the the sound was catchy, uh, but not enough to. It, it wasn't uh, overboard. It didn't annoy me. Um, I didn't find myself wishing I wasn't listening to that music while I was playing. Right. The thing that really jumps out for me is that what we have here is like a a seriously old school. It's a a, a game. So we got a vertical monitor and a four way joystick, and yet it's essentially a horizontal game. Using a vertical monitor because the, the, the twist here, the thing that's being brought new to the Pac-Man family is that the maze is wider. It's even wider than the screen can show you. And so as you move left and right through it, the camera, as it were, pans left and right with you. So you're scrolling back and forth, exposing a larger maze than you can see all at once. So that's sort of the, the big twist here. And the maze has no exits. None of this whole I'm leaving, but I'm coming back thing. Nope. You're trapped in the maze, you and the ghosts and the pellets. And so those, those are the things that jumped out at first to me as being seriously different than than the previous pack pack games. Yes, and, and in fact, one of the things that one of the reasons that this game felt harder to me uh, than the original Pac-Man or Miss 
Ms. Pac-Man, is that because you couldn't see that section of the maze, if there was a ghost over there, you could be heading down a tunnel and suddenly you were dead because the ghost was right there. Yep. Not just could be, but almost certainly will be. Like in my case. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I, I take that, I take it that happened quite a bit. Oh, all the time. I mean, but it adds to sort of the tension of the game. And I did like the extended maze. And I, so it, it makes it feel, um, quite a bit different. But, you know, now that I say that, the thing that, I think the thing that jumped out first as here's something new with this Pac-Man wasn't just the maze. It was before you even got to the maze. It was them introducing the ghosts. And instead of Clyde, we have Tim. And it, I was like, hey, Tim? What do you mean, Tim? And and I guess the one Clyde has been renamed in this case and seems to have been named after the lead designer of this game, which is Tim Hoskins. So I guess he decided to rename Clyde after himself. But it really threw me. Like, it lists all the names and the last ghost comes out and it's Tim. <laughs> uh, what? Well, I, I guess if you're if you're designing a, designing a game, you can you get to do that if you want. Yeah. Uh, there were some, there obviously were some uh, other cosmetic changes to this game. Uh, it, it looks like it was designed to be a lot more kid-friendly in general, not just mm-hmm. the Junior Pac-Man sort of theme, but instead of the pretzel and, and cherries and the strawberry, the, the snacks that you used to have to catch in, in the games you were making your way through the, through the maze, this has a balloon and a drum set and a kite and a tricycle, uh, sort but of also kid, and kid-friendly. But also beer. So I guess I guess it's a root beer, but it seems weird that there's a beer in this. Hmm, that's odd. I didn't get that far. I didn't get the beer. I, in fact, I couldn't even catch the stinking little bobby thingies, which I always thought of as um as like prizes. But I was reading the flyer for Junior Pac-Man, like uh, that got stuck out by Belly Midway to sort of introduce Junior Pac-Man, and they refer to these items as rack indicators. So I guess that's the official term for these little bouncing toys you can pick up in the middle of the game um, in Ms. Pac-Man and now in Junior Pac-Man. They are rack indicators. That's interesting. Yeah, I which they say that. is similar to the floating fruit in Ms. Pac-Man. So I don't know why they're called rack indicators. But um, the other thing about those, so they bounce around. And as everybody who knows, these these games are in a maze and there's little pallets everywhere. And you walk a walk a left and you walk a walk a right and you <laughs> eat them all up. And there's also the bigger pallets, the the power pallets and the energizers or whatever. And and they turn the ghost blue and you could chase them. So all that is that that's old school. We're used to that from the other Pac-Man games. But in this case, the bouncing little prizes, the kite and that sort of thing, when they go when they go over the regular dots, they make them larger. And suddenly they're worth 50 points each instead of 10 points. So letting that thing bounce around the maze can be a good thing because you can pick up more points. But these larger pallets, these larger dots, they slow you down. So they're also a little more dangerous to be picking up. And I learned to my chagrin, when the bouncing rack indicator thingy hits one of your energizer points, it blows up and it takes it out with it. Yep, you you lose both the bonus and, and your energizer. Yep, that came as a bit of a surprise. Yeah, that's that was unpleasant when I discovered that as well. Yep, but it adds to the game. So you so you sort of want that thing to bounce around for a while, but you got to keep your eye on it, and you're worried about where it's going to go. And also, you get all those extra points for gobbling the big dots, but you have to worry that you're going to be going slower while you go through them. So adds adds a, a nice bit of extra strategy to the game. 
Uh, there were a total of seven mazes that appear throughout the, the game. Uh, <laughs> Supposedly. <laughs> like I would know. Uh, most of which have six energizers instead of four. Uh, oh, they don't all have six energizers? No. All no. the ones I got do have six energizers. Uh, I think the later ones only have four. Oh, there you go. Um, as you mentioned, there are no tunnels uh, in this game. Nope. Not that this is all that interesting, but it features a lowercase anti-aliased font for scores and game text rather than the oh. uppercase of the older games. It is lowercase. You're right. That didn't really strike me as being different, but that is different. And I guess more childlike in a sense i guess mm-hmm. it it suits the junior theme but yeah it it hadn't struck me at the time that that is different than the earlier games and it has a series of redesigned intermissions that center around the developing relationship between junior pacman and yum yum the daughter of blinky yes yum yum the ghost so we have a, a, a little interracial relationship going we're just species i guess i don't know Junior Pac-Man does have a kill screen. When you reach the 146 screen, the game displays an invisible maze with no dots. And so oh. because you can't eat the dots you can't see, you can't get any further. Okay, so that's a, so it's a sort of an intentional kill screen, I guess. Again, I did not get there. Ports for the Atari 5200 and Atari 8-bit computers were finished in 1984, but were scrapped along with Super Pac-Man when the home computing and game console divisions of Atari were sold to Jack Tremiel or Jack But Tremel. the uh, 2600 version did come out because that's the one Matt uh, Scott had written in earlier about, telling us that is quite a good one. Though I don't think I've actually played the Junior Pac-Man version on the home Atari game. Have you played it? Uh, no, I'm not. Yeah. And you had mentioned something about the Atari 7800 version. Carrington, please fill me in. Well, that is, uh, there, on Atari Age, there was, and I think maybe we talked about this in an earlier podcast, or talked about it somewhere, I think. There was an April Fool's joke in Atari Age, which is such a good form, talking about the discovery of the uh, 7800 version of Junior Pac-Man, which turned out to be... Uh, not the case. And it, I had originally thought, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but my memory is that I originally thought it was just an April's Fool's joke that then inspired somebody to go make an actual homebrew version. But I guess it was actually an April Fool's joke that was a way of announcing the homebrew version. I guess it was actually made and then they were using that as a sort of a cover up for it. I could be wrong. The guys in Atari Age will, will no doubt talk in the forum about how I don't know. I'm talking about and and i'm totally okay with that because <laughs> i i really don't know what i'm talking about at the moment i'll be one of the commenters saying that you don't know what you're talking about talking awesome about. tell me about it yes. do you know do you know more uh no actually i don't but i'm just <laughs> gonna make stuff up okay that's good and then i'll disparage you for being canadian and uh, some other stuff yeah. and i will metric at you <laughs> can, why not yes. i can use metric as a verb of course i'm an american i don't know what that is <laughs> Uh, so I had a great time with this game. Oh yeah, I mean I I'm terrible at the the pack games in general. I just don't have the touch for the maze games, but they really are classic games. Like you just, it's it's such a great setup for an arcade game. You, like you know, just a joystick, no buttons. It's four way. You immediately get what you're supposed to do. Like it's just like instantly getting it, and yet tons of challenge to to keep playing. And and I really do think that this is. One of the better pack games. I always thought Miss Pac-Man would, was sort of the pinnacle, but I had a great time playing this one. This is a really good Pac-Man game. 
Yeah, not all of the unofficial Pac-Man titles, uh, as as I'd mentioned, were very good. Professor Pac-Man was particularly awful. Um, but this one is, I, I think, probably one of my favorites. I, I read in a few places that this game is harder, but I didn't find that to be the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I what One thing I like about this game, um, at least my memory of it is, that that it comes in a really cool arcade cabinet. Now, of course, you and I were playing it in Maine this week, but the the official cabinet for Junior Pac-Man is quite a fun one. This was released as a conversion kit for both the uprights and the cocktails for Pac-Man, but also had a dedicated upright, which was sort of in a mappy style case. I've always loved the, the mappy cabinet as well. So it's got those notches on the left and right, which are particularly suitable for a pack game because they kind of look like Pac-Man mouths. And just like the mappy cabinet, it has the very tall marquee, sort of a sign that juts up from the top of it. And I really like the shape of it. Um, and I think only... The only two I can think of that look that way are Junior Pac-Man and Mappy. And, and Mappy is a, a much more frequently found game. So you see that one much more often. So from a distance, it's easy to, to think a Junior Pac-Man game is a, is a Mappy because of the shape. It's a cool cabinet. There was also a cocktail version and a cabaret mini. I've never seen the cabaret. These mysterious cabarets that supposedly exist. Indeed, and apparently somebody uh, hacked one of the hacked the, the the ROM to this game and released Snow Day Junior Pac-Man, which is a Christmas theme version. So that's kind of funny. So that's a hack to this game, and this game was essentially a, an enhancement to Ms. Pac-Man, which was itself an enhancement to original Pac-Man. So that's hack upon hack upon hack, waka waka waka, which makes sense. I mean, you just you grab the ROM and and hack away. Sure. Okay, Carrington, it's oh. time. <laughs> I don't think it's time. Oh, I do. Well, I'll tell you this when it comes to scores. Mine's lower. <laughs> excuses, excuses. <laughs> so that's what, well, the thing is, last week, was last week or the week before? No, I guess a couple of weeks ago, we had a good back and forth when it came to a game on Twitter. I would post a score, you'd post a higher score, I'd post a higher score, back and forth. It was great. Real horse race. Not so much this week. This week instead, on Twitter, quite early, you post this outrageously high score. <laughs> so, and... I never posted anything because I could never get even remotely close to the score you started with. So you totally shut down the competition with your first move. So the lesson here is that I should start low and work my way up to that. At least you should have posted <laughs> other ones just to make me think I had a chance. I no, see. you shut me down from day one. So my the best score I could get all week, and, and I only got this once, was 28,240. Every other time I got way lower than that. That itself was already, though, way lower than the first score you posted. So 28,240 was my best I could do. What about you, Mike? How, oh, how Carrington, did you do? were you even trying? I was. I was trying so hard. <laughs> I just kind of suck. I got 47,420. Oh, God. Yeah. So that's the, I think that's the score you actually posted. It is, yes. And I got that score quite early on. And as I continued to play through the week, I... I didn't get higher than that, but I was consistently in the 40,000s. I never even hit 30,000. I just, I'm not good at these maze games, man. Well, and usually I'm not either, but, and f I don't, for whatever reason, this game seemed to really click with me and I was able to do well. And though I do like the Pac-Man with the little beanie, with the little propeller beanie. Yes, I like it's it very character. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I like the, uh, the scenes of the, um, I, I like the cut scenes that, that we had mentioned or the, the developing love story between the two youngsters. Right. Because it shows Junior Pac-Man sneaking out of his house to, to meet Yum Yum and the parents coming out and catching them and chasing them back inside. It's well, I like that element of the Pac-Man games to start with. And, and, you know, starting with the first Pac-Man game, that idea that you're going to play a game and after doing a bit, we're going to pause. 
and have a bit of a show, like the stuff that they do in Donkey Kong and Pac-Man. I think those kinds of things are remarkably charming in video games. And I get how video game makers would eventually stop doing this because it's like, hold on, we're letting you have some free time. And because it's all about selling time. You put a quarter in and you're going to get so much entertainment time. So when you throw in those little intermission scenes, you're essentially extending somebody's game. You're giving them another five seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds of free play, of free entertainment. So I can see why they eventually stop putting those in games. But I think it adds tremendously because it's a, that little teaser. You want to go farther in the game so you can see more of the, the show in the sets. So, um, yeah, I think it's and awesome. And it ties the, ties the different, uh, in, in some cases it ties the different levels and, and maps together. Uh, not so much in, in this case, but I think, yeah, like you said, because of the additional time, they, they probably removed that mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, we, we need to minimize the amount of time that you get on a quarter per game. But I think overall in the long run, if anything, that, that, extra value of seeing these cutscenes probably kept people coming back more than it would have uh, had they not been in there. Yep. And even in the flyer and all the posters and stuff that I saw, when they would describe the game, essentially, and these are flyers designed to sell the game to people who would, you know, own arcades or put them in bars and that kind of stuff. And in those, they really promote that, that little developing love scene. Like they talk about how there's this, you know, extra style to it and the, 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 the wider maze and that kind of stuff. But they really focus on this whole, you know, Junior Pac-Man and Yum Yum and which is a brand new ghost character and how you can see the, the, you know, the developing relationship and it's got new intermissions and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was a big part of the promotion as well. Sure. I think that it, it makes sense to me that the Namco would look at this and, and kind of want their property back. You know, um, if the game had sucked, they probably just would have either ignored <laughs> it or said, stop making them. Um, you know, but they felt that they needed to sue in order to gain control of their license back. And the game does not suck. I might suck at it, but it's a, it, <laughs> nonetheless, it's a really fun game. Like it, if you like the maze type, if you like a Pac-Man type game, but you haven't branched out to play the other Pac-Man, the other Pac-Men or however the plural would be, Pac-Man, um, definitely one to check out. I think it's got all the charm of the original Pac-Man, but I really like the twist of the, of the wider maze. I like the twist of the different size dots when you're bouncing, uh, what do they call them? Rack indicators, the little toys bounce over things. I like the fact that you get more power pellets. Um, it just, it's got a lot of character to it. It's a, it's a really good game and it's really well implemented. I agree. Uh, I enjoy this game a lot and I would definitely recommend it. Well, what do you got, Mike, to recommend for next week? Well, I think people are going to have a hard time guessing this one. Ooh. And what is the challenging game sound like? Why, here it is. think people can guess that um i don't think they will and there's a reason for that and and of course we will uh, let you all know next week awesome well thank you for podcasting with me this week mike why thank you carrington and i'll talk to you soon sounds good bye everybody bye
You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent to noquarter at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this show has been released to the public domain. Oh, 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 oh.